We're continuing today our I Saw a Sign series. Uh, and I've got to be honest, I think I've spared you a lot. We have not sung the song, and I feel like it's the last day of the series, so I have to do it. I saw a sign, and it opened. Nobody's going to join me, just dancing. I mean, okay. Anyway, Ace of Base song, which was not the full inspiration of, at all, of the series. But when I felt the name uh, come, and I heard the name come, that's the song that came into mind. And like I said that first Sunday, some of the lyrics, though not a Christian song um, of that actual chorus, do actually... Maybe give us a bit of a challenge. But anyway, we have, over the last few weeks, journeyed through the seven signs of Jesus in the Gospel of John. Hence the I saw a sign. So we looked at Jesus changing water into wine. Uh, we looked at the healing of the royal official's son. We looked at the healing of the paralytic at Bethesda. We looked at the feeding of the 5,000 through small groups exploring that. We looked at Jesus walking on water. And then last week, we looked at the healing of the blind man from birth. And all of these signs have different things that they pull out and they point towards that of Jesus. Every single sign in some way, shape, or form reveals an aspect of Jesus and points us to him, points those around him to him. But not just Jesus the man, but Jesus God, Lord and Savior. It points to him from the very beginning, giving his blood, his blood being shed for us. From the very beginning, the fact that we at a wedding will be celebrating with him because we are the bride of Christ. From the very beginning, it points to the fact that Jesus knows us and that his prayer knows no distance, that he can heal from wherever we are, from wherever he is. We've also seen that Jesus can heal in an instant. Fully. Miraculously. It points to him as healer, yes, but also to him as the God who redeems, who recovers, who restores us fully into who we're made to be. We see that Jesus not only walks on water, but he calls us to walk on water with him. We see that Jesus calms the storms of our lives. We see that sometimes the storms of our lives aren't about us, but actually about opportunities for God to be glorified. We have seen some awesome signs. Amen? And hopefully... I pray that we've seen that those signs are not just for then, but for now. I pray that through this series, you have seen what God has done, but is also doing in you, through you, for you, around you. Because the beautiful thing about the signs of Jesus are, they weren't just for back then. The signs point to who he is for us now. For us now. And I, and I have to ask the question, have you been changed at all by this series. Some of you might be thinking, no, I just show up to church and I enjoy what I listen to and I sing a couple songs and I go. Let me challenge you. As we push into God, as we hear from him, by his spirit, he changes us. He makes us more like Jesus. What has he changed in you? Let me start there today before we even look at that last sign. What has he changed in you during this series? What has he challenged? What has he stretched? What has he polished? What has he removed? What has he reminded you of? What has he brought to the forefront of your thinking that you're like, man, I got to hold on to that because all oh, my days, that is crucial and I've just been ignoring it. What has he released you from? What has he healed you from? What has he challenged you in? Now, these are questions that we should be asking every time we come to church, every time we go to small group, every time we open scripture, every time we pray, 
They're not just about the I saw sign series. But sometimes we just need to take a moment to ask that question. Well, actually, God, what have you done in me? What can I recognize that you've been doing in me? Am I letting you work in me? Oh, heavy start in it. Y'all are thinking, man, if he's starting here, where's he going? Well, we're going to dive into today. And today's talk is take off the grave clothes. Now, if you know your scripture well enough, you know where we're going. If you know the signs of Jesus and John, you know where we're going. It's the seventh sign, which is John 11. You ready for this? Verses 1 through 44. And brace. I've said it before and I'll say it again. I make no apologies for the length of scripture readings. And sometimes you just need the full thing. And if you take nothing else away from this morning, take away the reading. <laughs> Jot it down, write it down. If you want to ignore what I say, that's fine. I'll be a little bit hurt, but I'll get over it. But God's word is awesome. So if nothing else, take this on. With that, I'm trialing something new. And if all goes to plan, you should have the scripture on screen as well as online on the lower third. We'll see if this works. If it goes terribly wrong, you've opened up your Bibles. You've turned them on. You're there anyway. But just in case, we're trying something new. Here we go. Not yet. It's starting now. So it says, Now a man named Lazarus was ill. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay ill, was the same one who poured perfume on, uh, on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one that you love is ill. When he heard this, Jesus said, This illness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Pause. Doesn't that remind you just of last week as well? That actually the rubbish you're going through isn't about you, but that's actually to glorify God. Lazarus is dead. But no, he's ill at this point. Sorry. Whoops. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Lazarus is ill, but it's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Already. Unpause. Verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. I mean, imagine being in that moment. Sorry, what? Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, oh, let us also go that we may die with him. 
On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews, who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping, And the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God. So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth round his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Amen. Like I said, if nothing else, take away the reading. Nothing else would take away that reading. If 
Imagine, imagine being any of the people in that account. I mean, imagine being Lazarus. You're dead. <laughs> I mean, you're ill to start with, but by the time he gets here, you're dead. Imagine being Mary and Martha, who've seen Jesus do awesome things, who've heard him preach love, who've heard him preach all these amazing things. And then when they cry out to him the most, he's like, eh. I love that scripture says, he loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And so he decided to wait a couple of days. I'm sorry, what? If I, if, if I tell you I love you and you call me and I said, I'm a bit busy right now. I really love you. I'll be there in a couple of days. You would be offended. You would be hurt. You would not believe it when I say I love you. Some of you might be like, oh, he's kind of busy. I guess I'll give him a bit of forgiveness. But what a jerk. It's true. You'd be thinking it. You might verbalize the niceness, but you'd be thinking, right? I mean, this entire account is surrounded by people who have, I believe, some of the most, it's just bizarre situations. Like anybody that you place yourself in with, place yourself with the mourners. It was in the time of Jesus, when, when somebody was lost, when somebody was died, they, they would come and, and the kind of community would come around next to you. And some people, like in some parts of the culture, you actually pay for the mourners and how many mourners reflected how much money you had and, and that kind of stuff. And so when there were people wailing, it was part of like a traditional thing of like, we're going to wail for you. We're going to go, why? They were mourning with them. And no, some of them weren't even people that they necessarily knew. They maybe knew Martha. Maybe they knew Lazarus. Maybe they knew Mary. But some of them would have just been there because they had to be. How many times do you go and mourn with somebody that you don't really know? Anybody? You just rock up to a funeral? Oh, there's a funeral today. Let me go see what's going on. I mean, I've heard of wedding crashers, but funeral crashers is a whole other. We don't do that. Yet culturally, they were there. Everybody that was there was mourning. And in the midst of all of this, in the midst of like genuinely wailing and crying and shouting and emotions running high, anger probably, as much as they're not like, oh yes, um, you know, Jesus, I love you and I know that who you are, but I'd be angry at Jesus. If only you would have come earlier. And in the midst of all of this, in the midst of the craziness, we see this beautiful sign that points us so much. And we're going to pull out some points, which I think right now God really wants us to hear. And the first one is the fact that God's timing is not our timing, but it's the best timing. You've heard it said before, God's timing is better than yours. But we don't always believe it. <laughs> Verse 6, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. His timing, I'm going to wait a couple days. What are you doing, Jesus? Verse 21, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Your timing, Jesus, is pretty quite rubbish, according to Martha. Verse 32, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I mean, imagine the mourning on their hearts, on their experience, on the everything. They are not happy. Their response is, Jesus, your timing is rubbish. 
How often are we like that? How often in the midst of stuff are we crying out to Jesus going, right now, Lord, I need you to fix it. Right now is the moment where you're going to shine. Okay, you know what? I can kind of buy that my rubbish is for your glory. Okay, scripturally I saw it. He preached it. I believe it. Fine. I'm going through this rubbish for you. But now that I know that it's for you, right now, Jesus. Right now. Fix it. Right now. And sometimes the answer we get is, okay, calm down, Adrian. And he performs a miracle. Other times the answer we get is absolute silence. Other times we get no. What do you mean no? I said no. Later? Maybe later. Maybe? How, 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 how maybe? <laughs> Again, maybe that's just my conversations with Jesus. I don't know. But we continually fight this battle of our timing. And we recognize, we have to recognize that our timing is not his. His timing is always going to be better. It's the best timing. It's not even better than ours. It's the best. Full stop. <laughs> like, I mean, because it's the best, it's better. But it's not like, oh, it's better and there's something even better than it. <laughs> God's timing is perfect. And that's a hard pill to swallow because when my timing doesn't line up with his timing, I get upset. <laughs> Jesus, I love you, but I really need you to do this now. Not yet. No, 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 seriously, right now. No, no, not yet. No, Jesus, I'm tired and I'm, I'm exhausted and I'm angry or whatever. And just right, right now. No. His timing is the best. We see that if he would have shown up two days early, yeah, he could have healed Lazarus before he died. And that would have been what everybody there would have wanted. The mourners wouldn't have been there because he hadn't died yet. They might have been on the, on the sidelines prepped and ready. Tag me in, coach. Tag me in. But they wouldn't have been there yet. Jesus decides to wait so that he can be glorified, so that God can be lifted up, so that the timing would be perfect, that Lazarus would be dead. Now, in the midst of it, Mary and Martha don't see it. Neither does anybody else. And if I'm honest, you wouldn't either. I wouldn't either. In the midst of it, you're like, um, no, this is really bad. But I can guarantee after he comes back and Lazarus is walking with him again, they would have been like, man, whoa. Like his timing was pretty epic. Like we all gave up. We all gave up hope. We thought he was, but man, right? That's what Jesus does. His timing is the best timing. So if you're in the midst of something right now and you're crying out to Jesus, I'm going to say, keep on crying out, but hey, his timing is what I want you to cry out for. Not yours. Because I know that you want it now. You want it yesterday. <laughs> but it's his you got to cry out for. But it doesn't stop there because we see that we need Jesus in the darkness of night to shine so we can see. See, because not only is his timing figured out and perfect, but we have to recognize that, that we need him to see. It says in verse 8, But Rabbi, they said a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you're going back. And Jesus answered, Are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. Who is Jesus? Oh, come on, y'all. Who is Jesus? The light of the world. Say it with confidence. Who is Jesus? Say it like you believe it. Who is Jesus? 
Man, this is like Sunday school all over. Y'all got to, he's the light of the world. Now, is that nice, a nice little Christian saying, oh, Jesus is the light of the world? Or is it true that in darkness, when we are blinded, when we cannot see, when we are in the midst of rubbish, we can't see anything? In that particular instance, they were saying, why are you going to go back to the place where they tried to kill you, Jesus? Why are you going back there? And he's like, hold on a second. You're not going to get it, but here's the deal. Let me unpack some, some stuff for you, right? And we've always said John is incredibly theological. There's a lot in there. But in that one little sentence, in that one little statement, he says, listen, you think that you can see, we're going to go because those that are out there, Lazarus, Martha, and the rest, they think that they can't see. They need me to shine in the darkness because there is darkness in that place. There is death. They don't get it, but they see that. Hey, guess what? There's also other darkness. You don't see this yet, disciples, but I've told you before you don't believe me, but guess what? I'm going to die, and then I'm going to come back to life. And in that moment, like, there's going to be darkness, and you need my light to shine because I am the light of the world. Like, he said it to them. And I think so often we've heard it and we've said it. Sunday school answer, Jesus is the light of the world. Although y'all weren't that convincing, but you know. But we say it, but do we believe it? Do we act in it? When we are in the midst of that darkness, when we're in the midst of that crying out to God, Lord, I really need you to do it now. And he's saying, not right now. It's my timing, Adrian. Okay, fine. I'm still in darkness. What do I do? Are we letting his light shine? Because in the darkness, you can't see by yourself. You, you, you can't. I mean, if you've been in the dark place for long enough, you may have felt your way around and you can maybe stumble a little bit but you can't see and get from place to place in the darkness. You need Jesus. You need the light of the world. Oh, yes, Adrian, I know. I've been a Christian for years. I gave my life to Jesus when I was 13, and I've heard it a thousand times over. Okay, but are you crying out to him and letting his light shine in your darkness when you're in those moments? Perhaps you are an amen, praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for that. Chances are it's not every time. But we need Jesus in that darkness. In the darkness of the death that they just experienced of Lazarus, they needed Jesus. And the things that they thought they needed Jesus before that, they thought they needed Jesus when he was alive, when there was daylight. He's still got life. He's all okay. Come now. And, and don't, don't mishear me. Yes, we need Jesus all the time, all right? Don't misquote me. I'm not saying we only need him at night in the dark. We need him every day. But they were calling out to Jesus physically in that moment because they wanted him in the daylight. Where It's like, watch. They need, the, they need the light in the dark. We need Jesus in our darkest moments. I often say with Amanda, when we hit those really dark, difficult parts of life, we tend to do the whole, I'll do it in my strength first. The most difficult times, we don't let Jesus' light shine first. But then when we finally do, man, our, our faith, our relationship with Jesus almost goes deeper in the darkness because you are, when you finally let the light shine, you kind of go, I can't see without you, Jesus. I can't move without you, so more of you come on every day. And then suddenly, you're on the mountaintops and things are good, and you're like, oh, it's good up here. I'll, I'll talk to you tomorrow, Jesus. We're good. Thanks. But we need to be reminded that in the darkness, we need him to shine, and actually, he is the light. 
that allows us to see he is the light. And so actually, if you're in that rubbish situation, let him draw you closer. Let him be the one that you lean on. Let him be the one that shines a light for you to see. But then don't ditch him when you get to the mountaintop. (laughs) Because even though there might be some great bright light out there, he's even brighter. (laughs) You will see things that you've never even thought you could see. But as we continue on, we see that Jesus asks us if we believe that he is who he says that he is. I ask that question on a regular basis. Do you believe that he is who he says that he is? Verse 21, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. In that little statement, pause for a second, that little statement, Martha automatically reveals that she doesn't believe Jesus is God. You know what I mean? Like, it's a small little thing, but how he's, he said it. He's been there. <laughs> we know that he's journeyed with this out. He reveals himself. And, and even in that moment, oh, no, no, yeah. I know that God will give you whatever you want. Mm, okay, you're still missing it. I wonder how many of us might still be missing it. But anyway, continues on. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again. In the resurrection of the last day, I got the theology. I understood it. I believed it. Thanks, Jesus. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Do you believe that Jesus is who he says that he is? Jesus says he is the resurrection and the life. He is the one through whom you will have eternal life. He is the one who will shine light in your darkness. He is the one who will release you from all that you are tied to, your sin, your brokenness. He's the one that gives you freedom. He is the one who will make you wait sometime because his timing is perfect, not yours. Do you believe that he is who he says that he is? And in this context, in this place, most of us would be hard-pressed to say no because you're here for some reason. But do you believe that every day? Will you believe that tomorrow when you go back to work, go back to school? No, you're on Easter holidays, so in a week when you go back to school. (laughs) Will you believe that when life is really rubbish? Will you believe it? Jesus asks us point blank. And and I've said that Jesus is amazing because he won't make you answer yes. He won't force himself on you. He simply says, do you believe that I am the resurrection and the life, the light of the world, that I am everything that I say that I am? Yes or no? And the thing is, be complicated. Well, I I sort of kind of believe but I really struggle with this bit. So, so like, I believe this of you, but I don't believe this. Or I really like this bit, so I believe that 100%. But this, let's unpack this a little bit, Jesus, because I don't know what to do with this. So I don't know that I believe this. He doesn't negotiate with us. He, do you believe that I am who I say that I am? Yes? No. Yes, amen. And sometimes we go, maybe, but there is no Maybe. <laughs> Sometimes there is no sometimes, yo. You either do or you don't. 
Don't get me wrong. If you don't, I'll still love you. You're still welcome in this place. But what we are here to do is to gather to the point where we can worship Jesus for who he is because we believe that he is who he says that he is. That's what we come here to do. We come here to worship, to unpack scripture, to go like, God, you are the almighty, the creator, the everything. So come and be among us and challenge us and change us that we would be more like you because you are who you say that you are. That's why we come. And sometimes we don't want to come. (laughs) Sometimes life is rubbish. But because we believe that, we keep coming. Because we believe that, we keep praying. Because we believe that, we keep going back to Jesus. I don't know where you are on your walk. Some of you guys will be full on on fire. Some of you guys will have just been like in this middle of everything. But are you going back for him? Do you believe that he is who he says that he is? That's a big question. I get that. And like I said, if your answer is no, that's cool. I'll journey with you. I will pray with you. But know that ultimately my desire for you, for me, for us, is that the answer would be yes. That's, if I had a, an agenda, that's it. I want us to believe that. I want us to declare. I want us to live it out. Because that's what he calls us to. Then we see that Jesus feels with us in this scripture. No matter what we are feeling, he feels with us. I've heard people say Jesus isn't touchy-feely. I've heard some people say we've gone too far with making Jesus touchy-feely. But Jesus is touchy-feely. He is emotional. He is also our judge. We will stand before him. He is all things But we can't just pick and choose. He is, in fact, emotional. And I think if we're called to be more like him, perhaps we're called to be a bit emotional ourselves. We see in verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, this is Mary, he he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Verse 35, Jesus wept. The shortest verse in all of scripture. Two words. Jesus wept wept, wept, not shed a tear, not glassed over a little bit, a little bit emotional, holding it back. He wept. He, he wept. He cried. Like he, he gave it some. Like we don't describe our crying as, oh, I had a bit of a cry. No, no, no. When we talk about weeping, like it's weeping. It's just nonstop. It's just, it's, we often talk about wounds weeping. It's a weeping wound. You know Why? Because the wound won't stop. It keeps going. That, that's what the weep. Jesus wept with them. He was moved. He was troubled. He felt what they were feeling. So whatever you're feeling, he's feeling it with you. Adrian, I'm so hurt right now. Like I am broken. I am beat up. Like my emotions are all over the place. Guess what? Jesus is feeling that with you. Adrian, I am overjoyed. I am rejoicing. Like there is so much awesome stuff happening right now. Guess what? Jesus is feeling that with you. Adrian, I am so angry right now. I just want to punch things. I can't get it out of me. I am just so angry. Jesus is feeling it with you. He feels what we're feeling. He's a personal God. 
so often, and maybe this is more guys than girls, I don't know, but I think I've made, made, met my fair share of women who are the same, but oftentimes we suppress our emotions. I, I can't feel this way. I, I can't, I've got to be strong for my family. I've got to be strong for, I've got to be strong because I'm a guy. <clears throat> guys don't do that. That's not what we see in Jesus. We see in Jesus that he meets us where we're at. We see in Jesus that he feels what we're feeling. So if you're sad, he'll be sad with you. Don't get me wrong. He won't wallow with you and keep you there. Like Jesus wept with them. And then he said, right, y'all ready? Watch this. Hey, yo, Lazarus, come here. <laughs> like he changed the situation. Jesus will change your situation. But he will also meet you where you're at. So often I've heard, I've got, I can't come to church until I'm ready, until I'm, I'm, I'm set up. I, I, can't, I can't step into small group until I've got my things sorted. I can't meet you for coffee, Adrian, because I've got so much stuff I'm battling. So once I've sorted that out, I'll come chat with you. I'll come to church. I'll come to small group. I'll come to, what? Wait, where, in the, where in scripture do we have to come ready, perfected, cleansed? But no, 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 no. We come to Jesus as we are, and he meets us where we are at. So where are you this morning? Be honest with yourself, but be honest with God. Where are you this morning? Because he feels, no matter, no matter what we're feeling, he feels it. He's feeling it with you. He'll move you out of it. But he feels it with you. We then see the big part of this sign that Jesus calls us to come back to life and take off the grave clothes now. Verse 40, then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and then Jesus looked up and he said, Father, thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Now. In that moment, Jesus didn't say, all right, guys, come together, breathe, prepare yourself. Something cool is about to happen. I know it's a bit strange. He didn't say, right, quit the crying or all you criers over there. He didn't say, come back tomorrow and we'll have a little service and we'll worship God. And then he said, hey, open the flipping grave now. Hey, Lazarus, come out now. Oh, look, there he is. Take the grave clothes off of him now. Some of us are stuck in some situation where we are literally physically feeling like we are dead in some ways. We have lost ourselves. We are tied to whatever it may be. And we are essentially in a tomb. And Jesus is saying, right now, get up, walk out. Oh, and now that you're out, take the flipping grave clothes off. Right now. Now. No, not tomorrow. No, I'm not in a week. 
now. He's telling you to do that now. What are you feeling dead to? That's a dramatic statement, I know, right? We're not physically dead. I don't think so. Anybody check your pulse real quick. You could? Are we still alive? All right. But we might be dead in some other respects. Maybe emotionally. Maybe spiritually. Maybe you have just been coming to church, going through the motions, going, this is what I'm supposed to do, so I'm going to keep on doing it. (laughs) Everything is fine. I'm good. Maybe you are dead in relationships. Maybe you are dead in something else. What are you dead in that Jesus is saying to you right now, hey, come out of the tomb. Hey, come back to life. Let me me speak that to you, he says. Hey, come out of the grave. 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 Oh, you can't see because you got some grave clothes on. Okay, take the grave clothes off. Now, I'm not Jesus. I can't tell you what it is that you're trapped in, dead in, feeling. I can't do that. Unless you share it with me, I can't know. Or unless the Lord reveals it to me, which don't worry, he hasn't. (laughs) I'm not going to blast you in the middle of it, right? But you know. You know what you're trapped in. Sometimes you hide it. Sometimes you try and avoid it, but you know. And to you, Jesus is saying, come out. Right now, come out. Live. Live. Live with all the plans and purposes I have for you. Live a life filled and led by me. Live. Live. Some of you also like, nah. <laughs> He's calling us to have life, yo. To live. But not just now, but then as well. Because the thing is, we're reminded this whole sign points, obviously, we know this, it points to the fact that Jesus is going to take the cross and die. And we'll remember that next week throughout Holy Week. We're going to remember the journey to the cross and beyond. And he will take this cross for you, for me, that we would have eternal life because we are then promised that actually in Jesus, after our earthly death, we will be resurrected. We will be brought out of the tomb, grave clothes taken off, and we don't do it as such anymore. We usually wear like a suit or a dress, but hey, guess what? We will be made new as we're resurrected. There's a promise that again, we will rise. That's a bit weird for us sometimes. Sometimes our perspectives don't go past this current situation. (laughs) Hey, Adrian, I'm lucky if I get 80, 90. Man, I'm really blessed and lucky if I get to 100 years. But past that, I can't think. But you can. As a Christian, you can. As a Christian, I can tell you that if you've given your life to Jesus and you believe that he is who he says that he is, you will pass away someday in the earthly and it'll be a sad day for all of us because we love you. But guess what? Guess what? You have eternity with Jesus. Anybody excited about that? Oh, there we go. Sort of. I mean, I know I'm loud. I'm boisterous. But come on. We see in this scripture, not just that we are called to have life now, but we're reminded that we will have life then. 
I've said before that we need eternal life perspective, that our perspectives have to change. If we lived our lives not just focusing on this moment, not just focusing on like this period of life that we have, but we focused on everything that we have in Jesus, we can say, you know what? My hundred years is but a blip on what eternity is. A blip. Like hundred years is a long time. It's like, oh, my days. How did they survive a hundred years? Someone who's a hundred years old now has been through a lot. Like wars, all sorts of stuff. Creation of the internet, which for some of us is like we've always had it. I know. But I mean, there's all sorts of stuff that a hundred year old person has gone through now. But that life is but a blip. So it's but a blip on history so far. But it's an even smaller blip on what is yet to come. If we lived our lives with, with kingdom perspective of, hey, this is but a blip. Things would change. I can guarantee that some of our insecurities of, can I invite someone to church? <laughs> what are they going to think of me? I've just woken up a baby. Oh, no. Sorry. Pray for me and pray for that child. <laughs> but I'm very loud. Apologies. There you go. This, this, everybody's going to come back to me after service. And this is why we don't get excited in church, Adrian. <laughs> That's the most excitable you've been. All right. There we go. If we, I've said it before. If we have kingdom perspective, eternal life perspective, then actually we'll have the confidence to be who we're called to be. Because here's the deal. If I walk up to somebody and I embarrass myself trying to talk about Jesus and they kind of go, mate, who are you? I'm like, oh man, okay. That's maybe two days. Real small blip in eternity. If my perspective is for the kingdom, if my perspective is for what is yet to come, then man, come on. There's nothing that you can say or do to bring me down when I'm standing with Jesus. In my humanity, it'll hurt. But in the spiritual, Jesus says, hey, come out. Live, I've got you. Let's go. So we see that we're reminded not only to live now, but we're reminded that we will live then. I mean, how glorious will it be to hang out with like Paul and Peter and John? Because we will. We will. Hang out with the disciples. We will hang out with, bless him, he's going to hate it, Doubting Thomas. We're all going to walk up, dude, Doubting Thomas, how are you? And he's going to be like, seriously, of all the things you could have called me, why that one? And we're going to get to hang out with him. I can imagine there's going to have to be some sort of weird queuing system for them, right? Like, it's like, take a, take a ticket and sit down for 25,000 years. But it'll feel like nothing because it's a blip in what is eternity. We have to recognize that we will be called to live. And when we live, then it'll be imperfection. There will be no sin. There will be no brokenness. There will be none of the rubbish that holds us back now. So let's, let's take a look at that. Be reminded of what we're called to live then, but also be reminded that we're called to live it now. Live your life now, your earthly life now, for the kingdom as if you were living your heavenly life forever. Let me say that one more time. Live your earthly life now as if you were living your heavenly life then. You would be so different. We would be so different. Because we'd walk in the confidence of Jesus. We'd walk by the power of the Spirit. We would walk alive in all that God has for us. And perhaps you are walking that way now, in which case, praise God, keep going. But I don't think all of us are. 
So the last question I have for you, and I end with this, what is Jesus calling you to come back to life from right now? Is it perhaps that eternal perspective? Is that what God is doing in you? Is there something else that's been holding you back? Are you trapped in a tomb somewhere? What is Jesus calling you back to life from right now? I can't answer that question. But God can, and you can. Mike's going to come up, and we're going to spend some time in prayer and worship and reflection. And I firmly believe... I firmly believe that God wants to do stuff in us. Every Sunday, every time we gather, every time we pray, I believe he wants to speak to us. He wants to challenge us. And as we wait, as we pray, as we worship, we make space for God by his spirit to speak to us, to challenge us. Maybe you've heard something this morning. Maybe there's something that was said. Maybe just the reading itself that has panged a bit convicted of it. Maybe as we pray, you say, okay, God, you started something there. That hurt a bit. What does that look like? I think that God wants to release us from our tombs this morning. With that, let's just pray. Yeah, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are an awesome God. Lord, we thank you for the amazing ways that you speak to us, that you move among us. We thank you that your timing is the best. We thank you that you are who you say that you are. We thank you that you are a God of freedom, a God that is bringing us back to life. And Lord, I pray right now, if there are things that we are dead in, that we are buried in, Lord, I pray that by your spirit, you would revive us right now, that you would move among us, Lord, that you would come powerfully to speak to us, to change us, that by your spirit, you would revive us. Lord, we long to be people fully devoted to you. I pray that our perspectives would change, that we would have kingdom, eternal life perspective, that we would have your way of seeing things, your way of doing things. Lord, if we have barriers up, I pray that you would bring them down. I pray that you would shatter our barriers. that we would receive from you this morning. In Jesus' precious name, amen.